I have a confession to make tonight. I like to eat. The reason that I like to eat is because I like food. And I like all kinds of food. I like Chinese food, Italian food, American food, Mexican food, and even Middle Eastern food. I like food. It was God who gave us food. He gave us food for the purpose of sustenance, enjoyment, fellowship, and even worship. We eat so that our bodies are nourished and sustained. We eat because food is good and we generally enjoy our food. We share food with others and have fellowship. And food is, food is instrumental in our relationships and fellowship. And food was also given to us for worship. Food was used in the Passover and the other feasts of worship. And we use food in the communion meal in remembering the body and the shed blood of Christ. God made our bodies with hunger and a drive to eat. And so what do we do? We eat. We eat all the time. We eat every day. Eating is something that we don't go very long without doing. We understand that we get hungry, and when we get hungry, it's time to eat. And even when we are not hungry, it's time to eat. We are so attuned to our drive to eat and hunger, we are always aware of it. We rarely need a reminder to eat and to satisfy our hunger. But God wants us to be hungry for more than just food. He wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And let me tell you tonight, this truth, this reality, that you do have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I believe that each and, each and every person has a hunger and thirst for righteousness and for God. But because of all of our other hungers and thirsts, we are not always aware of it. Our sense of spiritual hunger and thirst for God and for righteousness has in that sense been dulled by the other appetites in our lives. Someone wrote this in a journal in 1988, self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude and self-discipline its friend and generator. That is why gluttony is a deadly sin. The early desert fathers believed that a person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge from our hunger and thirst for righteousness. They spoil, in that sense, the appetite for God. It it was Jesus who, in John chapter 7, verse 37, says, it says this, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Just a, one comment on that before we move on. There is that thirst in the heart of every person, and I believe that's why Jesus stood up and said that. If anybody thirsts, who's that? Well, it's pretty much everybody. But if anybody does thirst, let him come unto me and drink, because I'm going to give you a drink that's going to satisfy you for everlasting life, and out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. God has provided a way for us to connect with him and become more aware of our need and desire for him. 
And it is this, it's, a, it's actually the discipline of fasting. The discipline of fasting is a discipline that is not all that popular, especially here in the overabundance of American affluence. Yet Jesus fasted and affirmed it as a spiritual practice that his followers would do and should do. The discipline of fasting will bring you closer to God and produce in you humility. This humility in your life will open up your life to the grace, blessing, and reward that God wants to bring into your life, even to that greater degree. Jesus, in his famous sermon on the Mount, addressed the spiritual discipline of fasting. In his teaching on fasting, Jesus tells us how to fast and how not to fast. How to and how not to. And he also tells us that proper spiritual fasting will bring blessing and reward into our lives. So let's take a look at this. We're going to look at the spiritual discipline of fasting, but I titled the sermon, A Person of Humility, because it is in this practice that will constantly bring us back to that mindset, that attitude that we need in our hearts and lives as believers and followers of Christ, that attitude of humility. So we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. And if you're taking notes tonight, the first question is this, how to and how not to fast. Let's look over at Matthew chapter 16. I'm sorry, 6, verse 16. It says this. Moreover, when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Fasting was a discipline practiced by God-fearing Jews. It was the command of the Jews in the Old Testament. Um, the command came in Leviticus 16, 29, in the instructions for the, the Day of Atonement. Um, and it would be a day of, of fasting. In this section that we're reading, that section that we just read in Matthew, it's, it's the broader context is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has, in this little section, if you read the entire chapter of Matthew 6, he's addressing a couple, two, three different topics. He's, he's addressing prayer, he's addressing giving, and he's addressing fasting. And when he talks about each one, he talks about each one in this way, hey, when you do this, you know, when you pray, pray like this. When you give, don't do this, but do this. And when you fast, don't do this, but do this. And so there is kind of an inference in the way that Jesus brings it is that you would be doing all three of these things. So, it, I, you know, I don't ever, you know, it never comes right out and says, do this, do this, do this. The inference is you're doing this. This was, these were practices of the God-fearing Jews. And so Jesus starts off here by telling us how not to fast. Sometimes when you want to learn how to do something, it can be helpful to learn what not to do. 
Jesus tells us that when we fast, we should not do it like the hypocrites. We should not be like the hypocrites. Let's look back at verse 16 there for a second. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. You know, you guys are familiar with the word hypocrite. It's actually, you know, the Greek word there is actually, it means an actor. It's actually a stage actor, uh, a pretender. A hypocrite was someone who was pretending, acting, pretending to do something. And so Jesus' admonition is, hey, when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't do it like the pretenders. Don't do it like those who were just kind of putting on a show. It was the Pharisees that more than likely who he was talking about here because they were the ones that would do things with such a pomp and circumstance in such a way that they would do it um, to, to cause and bring attention to themselves. They would, uh, everything they would do, they would pray with a loud voice standing on the street corner, hey, look at me, I'm praying here. And when they fasted, they did all kinds of stuff. They disfigured their faces. They did, you know, they kind of, you know, went with kind of an unkempt type of a look and, and just kind of just, you know, oh, woe is me, look at me, I'm fasting type of a thing. And, and Jesus says, hey, look, when you fast, when you do these things, when, specifically fast, I don't want you doing it like this. I don't want you doing it like the hypocrite, the pretender. I want you to do it for the right reasons or really don't do it at all. Uh, do it for the right reasons. Jesus said, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, brush your teeth. Don't let people know that you're fasting. In other words, when you're fasting, do it in such a way that you're just doing that as, as before the Lord and, and, and that you, know, you don't have to you know, do this thing to broadcast it to the world that we're fasting. Now, I, I want to make a point here, and I don't want to oversell this point or overstate it. But I will say it because I, you know, probably should. It's interesting in this day and age that we live in with social media and the internet and all this. And I see many churches over the last several years, they do these church fasts. And honestly, if I'm being accurate to the, to the scripture, it's really not in line with what Jesus is talking about here. It's actually, there's actually almost an encouragement to get on social media, hey, we're fasting and it's a 40 day thing and we're fasting and look at us and we're fasting and we're fasting and hey, wait a second. Didn't Jesus talk about this? Didn't Jesus talk, he, he certainly didn't say, Go to your church and have a big fasting shindig and have a big program and get a hashtag going about your church fast so that it can trend on Twitter. I, I think that there's probably something there that's probably not kind of really kind of correlating with what Jesus is saying here. Again, I don't want to hammer it like a hard hammer. I just want to say that lightly and kind of let it, you know, just be... But anyways, um, Jesus, Jesus says, look, when you fast, you know, comb your hair. You know, don't do the whole, don't, don't do all the things. Don't call attention to yourself when you're fasting, in other words. And, and, and do it for the right reasons. So don't do it to pretend. Don't do it for a show. Don't do it as an outward uh, presentation to the world of we're doing this spiritual thing 
Okay, so those are all the reasons why not to do it, why not to fast. Well then, why should we fast? There is a passage of scripture, I think, in, in, in a, just a few verses that kind of spells out some very good reasons why we should fast. And it's actually found, in, to answer that question, why we should fast, uh, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 58. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 7, and, and I'm going to give you three reasons why we should fast from this passage of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 58, let's pick it up. Verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you, ha- you take no notice? In the fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you would bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Let's stop there. Three reasons why we should fast. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this, humility. Humility. The reason to fast is to truly humble, to be humble before God. That's the reason. Here in Isaiah 58, the people had fasted, but they feared God had not received it. In fact, the, the passage is written, to give you an idea of how this passage is written, the passage is written and it's God quoting them back to them. Okay, so if you, if you look at it and you saw these quotes and whatever, it's God saying, this is what they're saying. This is what you're saying. We fasted and you didn't take notice. We did this and you didn't take notice. And God's saying, yeah, what, was this a fast? Was this a fast? Was this, was this what I called for when I said for you to afflict your souls? Was, 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 what, what, what you did? Was that what I was calling for for you to do? Was that the, was that the practice? Was that the reason? Was that the, the kind of the idea of what I was looking for? No, I, I, I was looking for you to humble yourself before me. I was looking for you to afflict your soul and realize your great need in me. I was looking for you not to just go through the motions. He says, did I call, did I call this thing so you could come in, bow your head, spread out the cloth, spread out the ashes, sackcloth and ashes and bow your head, and the whole routine of it. Is this what I've called for? No, what I called for was a true affliction of the heart and soul so that you would humble yourself before me so that there would be the, 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 the gateway, the opening into, into your life that, that I can come in and do what's necessary in your heart and life. So, so he kind of calls them on the whole thing. And uh, the so-called humility and fasting 
had not affected their behavior. They really hadn't humbled themselves. Oh, yeah, they fasted, they bowed their heads, they spread out sackcloth and ashes, which was a sign of mourning before the Lord. It was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus, when he cursed the fig tree um, for having leaves without, without uh, any figs on it, and he, he cursed the fig tree. Why did he curse the fig tree? Because it had leaves and it, it had no figs on it. Because when a fig tree uh, had leaves, that was kind of the time when it would leave and it would have the, the produce, it would bring forth the figs. But because it had the appearance of being in that place, in that time frame of giving forth a harvest, a fig, but it had no fig, it just had the appearance, it just had the leaves. And he said, and he, and he cursed the fig tree. And, and it's the same kind of idea in the sense that, like, you know, God's not into putting on a show. He's not, put, he's, he's not into the, the pomp and circumstance of it all for the sake of the, the routine and ritual of it all. And, and when we get entrenched in any type of a ritual, we can, we can miss the point. And there are denominations that we can all think of that are so far into the traditions and all that, 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 that you know, we'd, say, we'd all say, yeah, that's kind of where they are. They've kind of forgotten the reason why they're doing the tradition. There is a kind of a, a, a gutter on the other side of the, the lane too, and that's where you just have no, no nothing going on. You're just wild over on this side. So I think you know there's a there's a healthy middle of the lane, so to speak, where you can realize what God's called you to do, how He's called you to do it, and why He's called you to do it, and to be doing it for the right reasons. A true fast should bring about true humility. A true fast should bring about true humility. So a little bit more about fasting. Fasting was commanded in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifices and atonement for the sins of Israel. And so on this particular day that 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 God that God set aside this day of atonement and he had the high priest going into the holy of holies to 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 sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the, and that whole thing the nation was called to a day of fasting and affliction of their souls that's that's the that's the way that it's read there in fact I'm going to read the verse for you it'll be up on the screen uh, Leviticus 16:29 this shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. This idea of the affliction, afflicting of the souls, it's the word in the Hebrew, it's the word anon. Here it carries the idea of fasting. And it also carries the idea of humbling, humbling oneself. Fasting, humbling, and, and afflicting of the soul. Fasting or the affliction of the soul had the purpose of humility before God. When we deny our physical appetites and ourselves, we are able to see more clearly our spiritual appetite and hunger for God. And that's kind of what God was looking to, for, to have happen on the Day of Atonement. Hey, I want on this day, I want my people to contemplate their situation. I want them to contemplate their relationship with me. I want them to contemplate their sin. I want to, them to contemplate what I'm doing for them. You know, there was a whole other part of the 
command of the Day of Atonement, um, the, 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 the sacrifice, the, the, the atoning sacrifice would be made and the blood would be carried into the Holy of Holies by the high priest, sprinkled seven times on the, on the, uh, the mercy seat. But then there was this, all, all, this other thing with the, uh, with the scapegoat. Remember, they would, you know, the, the, the high priest would place his hand upon the, on the scapegoat and they would send it out into the wilderness, right? So in, the, the idea was the carrying of the sins of the people out into the, into the wilderness. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's amazing because Jesus is all these things, right? He's the high priest who walks in and by his own blood, Hebrew says, he administers that work uh, not on something made by men, but the real heaven and the real mercy seat. Uh, and he's the scapegoat too. He's the one that took, bore all of our sins upon him and he carried him out of town. What? Yeah, he literally carried him on the out, out beyond the gate, beyond the wall. And, uh, and, and, and um, when you look at that, the geography of where, the, where Golgotha was at the time on, on the other side of, of outside the, the gate of the city. Um, it's just very powerful stuff in speaking of Christ and everything that he's done for us. So, so fasting should produce humility. The first person in the Bible who fasted was or that we have record of having, having fasted, was Moses. And we find this out in Deuteronomy 9, chapter 9, verse 9, uh, when Moses went up onto the mountain to meet with God. And I'll have the verse up on the screen for you so that you can see it. He said this, When I went up to, into the mountain to, the, to receive the tablets of stone, i got to stop right there. There's a, there's a kind of a joke going around Facebook that, that um, evidently Moses was the first one to download onto his tablet from the cloud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've seen that one, um, but it, it's, it, it's good. It's good for, you know. Um, where was I? Back to the verse. <laughs> um, no, no, back to the other one. Yeah, back to the Deuteronomy. I'm still there. Yeah. I, I, Deuteronomy 9? No? Oh, Sorry. Well, listen, <laughs> hero Israel, um, when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and I neither ate bread nor drank water. Um, now, that's interesting because I don't think you can go 40 days without water. So um, somehow there was some supernatural sustenance going on there. Um, that we are unaware of. You know, Jesus actually alludes to that um, at the, you know, the uh, you know, in his meeting at the, with the woman at the well. You know, remember when he's meeting the woman there and they have this conversation and the disciples finally catch up with him and they say, hey, you know, we're going to go into the town to get some lunch. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And uh, they come back and he's had this whole conversation with the woman and they're trying to offer him some lunch, and he's like, look, no, I, 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 I've already had lunch. What? Where, 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 when did you get lunch? I have a lunch. I have a sustenance that is, that is, it is not that, not of the physical, but of the spiritual. And, um, and so there is a satisfaction and a sustenance that is in the Lord that we need to, to as Christians, need to be very aware of. Um, now, so, so, so Moses told the people that he fasted, that he neither ate bread nor drank water. 
And what does it also say in the Pentateuch, the Torah? In Numbers 12, verse 3, I do have this one on the screen. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Now, this is an interesting, this is an interesting situation here. Well, number one, the first interesting point is that Moses wrote this. So I don't know how humble it is to say that you're the most humble person on the face of the earth, but if you're doing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you can get away with it. If you, well, unless you buy into the JEDP theory on the uh, authorship of Genesis uh, or the, the Torah. Um, so anyways, but it's interesting because he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but then he had this great humility. So there was, there's this correlation between um, fasting and, um, you know, kind of allowing the appetites, the, 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 the hunger and thirst for the Lord to come through so much so that when that when, the, when we're wanting to truly be filled in that way from the Lord, and we know that the Lord is the only source, and we know that there's only one way to be filled up with, with the Lord like that, and that's to humble ourselves so that he can pour his love and his grace and his spirit into us. Um, so, again, a true fast is, is, should produce humility. Physiologists tell us when there is no food in the stomach, there is greater blood flow to the brain. And you can actually think clearer when you're not digesting burgers and fries. Once you overcome those first pangs of hunger, um, you know, we probably, you know, there's part of it that we probably, like, ah, you know, that may be true, but I don't want to find out about it. Um, but, but it is true. And, you know, I mean, we're not called to fast forever. I mean, we're called to just fast for a time and for that purpose. And um, so as we grow in Christ, we want to do that. And we want to, you know, kind of experience that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, I'll also have that on the screen, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the more we are in tune with our hunger and thirst for righteousness, the more we are going to be wanting to be filled up more and more by the Lord. And, you know, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for pizza and a Coke. He, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, God's going to take care of us. You know, God's going God's to bring, bring that, that sustenance that we need physically. But... We need, to, we need to have that appetite, that hunger and thirst for God, that hunger and thirst for him, for his righteousness, and, and, and to be filled. And righteousness is the goal, and humility is the key. And again, we're not working for righteousness. We're humbling ourselves to be filled with the righteousness. We've, we've received, it's, the righteousness of God has been imparted to us as Christians, people of faith. There's been an impartation of the righteousness of God upon us. But then there's this, this filling of the Lord that he wants to continually do in our lives. And Paul talks about the filling of the Spirit. And he talks about it, I believe, in um, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, right? 
Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Don't be, filled, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And um, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be fill, filled. So we receive, we, we receive righteousness by humbling ourselves before God. And we need to continually be humble before our God. Um, I, I, I think you can, you can be humble and you can experience a, mom, a moment of humility before the Lord, and then you can walk down the, the days and the weeks and the months and the years and find yourself back into a prideful attitude and a prideful situation. And that's why we need to make sure and we need to keep our heart humble before God. And fasting is, is a way to, to kind of, you know, really kind of initiate that if you're struggling, you know, with humility. And what is humility really? Let's, let's, take, let's take a second here and just kind of give definition here. Humility isn't kind of having like a, you know, kind of just walk all over me, I'm no good, woe is me, I'm the scum of the earth. Uh, you know, no, that's, that's not humility. Humility actually, Paul talks about it uh, a lot, and it's actually a practical self-estimate. It's, it's, it's a view of yourself through the eyes of God. And, uh, and, and so what is that, is it, before we're saved, when we first see that, that view, when we first have that view of ourselves in God's eyes, what, what is that? We, we, we go, oh goodness. You know, we're undone, right? We're undone in our sins, you know? Our, our, our hearts have been laid bare, our, 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 our sin is before us, and we're like, oh my goodness, we're undone. And then, and then the person who finds themselves in that place and, 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 and falls to bended knee in humility finds the grace of the Lord flowing into their lives, right? And then for the Christian, it's a, it's a continued attitude of having that viewpoint of God upon our lives now. What is it? Is that we're saved that we've had, we have that imputed righteousness, that we're a, we're a son or daughter of the king, that we, that we are his servants, that we are his people, that we have that, that, that kind of, um, that we have that meekness. Um, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, and, and, and that's also not kind of, you know, people think of meekness as actually being kind of a, you know, kind of a doormat type of a person, and that's also not a great character, uh, understanding of that word either the best the best way to describe that is this idea of uh it's actually power under control it's actually uh it's actually the picture of like a you know maybe a wild stallion um anybody remember the movie black stallion or whatever um what was that the 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 arabian horse that was you know the boy somehow tamed the horse and was able to ride it um that's actually kind of meekness, being able to be kind of brought under the control of the Lord, that like having humility and a meekness that, that there is all those things that you are, but there's, there's this sense that like, I don't have to kind of be a bull in a china shop. I don't have to be this um, raging person. I don't have to be um, this wild stallion that, you know, six guys have to grab ropes and pull, pull down and, and whatever. I'm, I'm that, that powerful stallion in Christ 
but I've been brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that's the beautiful picture of the, of the Christian, of the Spirit-filled life. Um, the second reason, first reason to, to fast is, is humility. The second one, that, yeah, that was all the explanation for the first one. Um, the second one is victory over sin. Go back to uh, uh, Isaiah 58, verse 6. God says this, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? And so there's an idea that in fasting that it, it can bring victory over sin. He says, I've come to, to that, that you would be able to break the yoke. What's he talking about? The, the, a yoke of bondage right? An oppression. He says, uh, is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? For you to be, for the bonds of wickedness, like, you know, if you were shackled up in bonds of wickedness, for that to be loosed off of you, that's, that's the fast that I've had for you. That, that when you come before me and afflict your soul and bow and, and, and spread out the cloth, the sackcloth and ashes, that it is bringing a, a victory in your life, a victory over sin, a loosing from the bonds of, vic, of, of wickedness, an undoing of the heavy burdens that sin brings into our lives, and, and letting, a letting of the oppressed to go free. Victory over sin is freedom. Amen? When you feel oppressed, bound, or hassled by some sin or problem, fasting is a powerful weapon in your spiritual arsenal. Why? When you say no to your stomach and start praying, instead, something begins to happen, something powerful. Saying no to your physical appetites helps you say no to other temptations that hassle you. If you're able to practice the discipline of fasting, which is denying of your flesh, you will learn that you can also say no to other sinful desires as well. Well, sinful desires. Eating is not a sin. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but a, a denying of that physical appetite will teach you that you can actually deny. And we were talking about this, I believe, on Wednesday, uh, Monday night at the men's study. That, you know, the idea of, hey, I can deny my flesh a meal. Hey, you know what? Maybe God has, maybe God's spirit in me, I, I, I can say no to that. I can say no to this over here. And you can. And you can. But if you do, we have an advocate. If you give in to temptation, if you sin, we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous. If you're plagued by temptation, I encourage you to begin to explore the, the discipline of fasting. Jesus was fasting when he was faced with the temptations of Satan. This is actually brings it home. Okay, wait a second. I just talked about overcoming sin and fasting being a weapon of arsenal. Here is Jesus fasting 40 days, 40 nights. You know, he was baptized and then he's, he's sent out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, right? A trial. And the enemy comes to him and tempts him, right? And here he is fasting, and the first, the first temptation was the food, the bread, you know, 
turn this stone into a bread, and, and on and on. But Jesus, you know, gave us a great example of how to, to combat temptation there with the, the focus on the word of the Lord. The, you know, he quoted, he said, it is written, you know, for it is written, for it is written. And you start realizing that, that you can, you know, wait a second, it is written that I don't have to do this, I don't have to do this, I can walk in victory, I can, I can um, you know, I'm the head, not the tail. Um, there's real power in fasting. If you need direction, if you hunger for, for liberation, there's power in fasting. And then the last uh, reason to fast is to meet the, the needs of others. Go back to verse 7 of Isaiah 58, it says, is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to the house, your house, the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall bring forth, shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go up before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Let's stop there. Well, let's read verse 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Uh, to meet the needs of others. God says that a true fast should, should encourage, exhort, and enable you to meet the needs of others around you. It puts you kind of in a ministry mindset. God talks to us about feeding those who, who are hungry, and we should feed those who are hungry. He talks about reaching out to the poor, and there are poor we do have the poor, and certainly the poor of the world. But we have those who are hungry spiritually all around us. And how often do we offer them the bread of life? How often do we... And you know, here's the, here's the thing with a Christian. You don't have to be the type of Christian that like, you know, you get into a conversation and here's like, you know, you're talking to people that you know that have an absolute famine of the word of God in their life. They're not serving the Lord. They, 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 they don't, you know, they know John 3, 16, and that was because of Tim Tebow, and that's about it, okay? And, and so what do, you, what do you do? You get into a conversation, and you want to, you, you can quote chapter and verse to somebody. You can bring the word of God to bear in a conversation, and you don't have to, to say you know, well, it says in John 3, or it says in Hebrews 7, or it says in, you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily have to say that. I actually will quote scripture to, all, to people all the time, and they don't even know I'm quoting scripture to them. Like, I'm just speaking the word of God to them, because it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will accomplish the purpose for which it has been sent. And when we speak it, we speak truth, we bring order, we bring truth, we, we, we bring the light, we bring the sword of God to bear into the hearts and minds of men. And, 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 and because sometimes it's brought up in a certain way and it, 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 it kind of comes down on people like, oh, well, you know, Bible thumper type thing, you can do it in such a way that people will be amazed at, um, at what you're saying. And, you know, um, I don't think Jesus, you know, Jesus did say it is written, it is written. But I mean, he, I'm sure that he, he taught, I mean, he taught on the road to Emmaus. He taught all kinds of things and shared all kinds of things about himself. 
And, um, and so I think that we can do that. Um, I'm, not saying it's, I'm not saying don't share chapter and verse. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying you don't necessarily have to give the reference when you're bringing the word of God to bear upon someone's heart. Um, and so that can be a powerful, powerful thing. So God tells us not to hide ourselves from our own flesh, that we need to, that we need to when, when we have humbled ourselves before him and he's done this incredible thing, that we need to, to reach out to those in need around us. And so think of, think of a way that you can do that in your life. Um, think, of, think of a way that you can you know, bring the message of the word, bring the truth of the gospel, bring a truth. It could be any truth. It, it, you know, truth from God's word, you know? Let that be, the, let that be the, the subject of our conversation. And I love to do this. This is something that I love to do um, because, you know, people, people just, you know, people just like to talk. People that like to talk like to talk, and they just like to talk about anything and talk about this and talk about that and complain about this and complain about that. And when you enter the conversation, it'd be, it, it, it can be like something completely different. It can be the truth of God's word. And, um, and again, it doesn't have to be like, you know, chapter and verse and thus saith the Lord. It can just simply be a declaration of, of the word of God. And then verse eight closes with this thing. It says, then your light shall break forth like the morning. And this kind of is reminiscent of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount backing up to chapter 5 from our text tonight in Matthew 6, Matthew 5, verse 16. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, you know, sometimes people will be amazed. Like if you, if you want to practice kind of a bringing forth of the bread of life to people, and backing that up with other taking care of needs and things like that, it will, be, it will bring glory to God, and it, will, and it will draw people into wanting to bring glory to God. So this is what it says about the right way to fast and, it, and what it will produce in your life. And, it, and, and if, just to re- rehearse, it will produce a bunch of great things in your life. Amen? And growth, you will grow in your relationship with the Lord. You will receive an abundance of grace and mercy and the love of God and righteousness, and it will produce in you humility. And humility brings blessing, and I'll close with this. Go back to Matthew 6. We read three verses in Matthew 6. The first two verses really kind of taught about what not to do in fasting. But look at verse 18. He says, do all this so that you do not appear to be to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in, in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't be like the pretender. And so don't do all these things. But when you do fast, do it like this because here's what's going to happen. Your father, who sees the true motive of your life, of your heart, is going to bring about blessing into your life because he sees the true motive of your heart. 
in your life and that you're not the pretender and that you're not just going through the motions and that you're not just bringing out the sackcloth and ashes and bowing your head and doing this and putting a hashtag on Twitter or whatever it is, okay? Oh, but I put the hashtag. They told me to put the hashtag on Twitter on my Facebook. You know, 40 days of whatever. Okay, well, great. <laughs> Fantastic. Look at it again. Verse 18. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who sees in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. Okay. I just want to read one more scripture. I got uh, this funny illustration. I'll just give you this one last funny illustration of being the pretender. At the conclusion of a concert, two ushers were applauding harder than ever. These were the ushers. These weren't even the people. The, the people were, were, were applauding, but the ushers were applauding. More than anyone else, people seated nearby smiled appreciatively at the two music lovers until one of them stopped applauding and the other one was heard to say, Keep clapping, you dope. One more encore, and we're on overtime. <laughs> Again, not being the pretender. Now, I want to read this passage. This is, this is it. This is where uh, Psalm 44, verses 20 and 21. He says this, If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hand to a foreign god, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. So this is a scripture that tells us, look, you, 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 there's no sleight of hand when it comes to God. We reach out our hand over here to a foreign god. No one saw, did they? No one saw. But the Lord saw if we forgot about the Lord, the Lord sought it out. The Lord saw. And I say this all the time. You know, Jesus, there's the description of Jesus in Revelation 1, you know, that John sees. And part of the description, and this is where they get that picture of God being this, you know, God with a, you know, um, you know long, old man with white hair and, and the whole thing. Because the, 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 the image there in Revelation 1 talks about, you know, the, his hair like wool. You know, and here's the problem though, you can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes because also in the description is that his eyes are like fire. <laughs> okay? So you're not gonna pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. And if we had forgotten the name of our God, or if we had stretched out our hand to some foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secret of the heart. So the God who knows in secret, the God who knows, who can search things out, who who knows everything about us, knows the motive of our hearts. And when we have the right motivation before him, he is going to reward. He is going to bring that blessing. He is going to do that. And he's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. Okay? Isn't he? Yes. One more verse, okay? <laughs> One more verse. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And what? And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, God's a rewarder. So seek him, pray, fast, give, 
and do it all with the right reasons for the right motivations in seeking out, searching out the Lord and humbling yourself before God. And your heavenly Father who sees in secret will bless and reward.